Alright, welcome to Solder Smoke, a podcast about radio electronics. This is podcast number 149. It's Sunday, February 17, 2012. And I'm on the air, well, really on the fiber optic cable with a new computer. And I'm trying out some new background music. You're listening to the opening music from Donald Fagan's IGY. The International Geophysical Year. I think it's a fitting theme for the show. You know, lots of the gear and many of the people we talk about on this podcast are of IGY Vintage. Yeah, IGY Vintage, indeed. Speaking of years, this is the new, uh, the first podcast of 2013. Holy cow, I said the, I said the date wrong there. <laughs> Shows how behind the times I am. But anyway, yeah, it's 2013. And um, this is the first podcast of 2013. Sorry for the delay. All kinds of excuses. Been real busy. Thought I'd bring you up to speed on what's been happening here at the uh, at the uh, the Northern Virginia recording facility. <laughs> we had a real nice New Year's Eve. We had uh, the neighbors over, and we had some uh, Dominican dancing. My wife was giving everybody Dominican dancing lessons, and um, we had a Dominican dinner. Um, good time was had by all. We we actually made it awake till midnight, and uh, we were all gathered around the TV watching the ball prepare to fall from uh, from Times Square there in Times Square. And uh, you know the countdown was going three, two, and exactly at one second, Capucho the Wonder Dog jumps up and stepped on the remote control, turned off the TV. <laughs> so that was the. Uh, the beginning of the uh, the new year for us. I don't know if that's an auspicious start, but uh, let's see what else has been going on. With the other big event here uh, this winter in the uh, Washington, D.C. area was the inauguration. And, you know, the, a lot of people think, well, you live close to D.C., you might want to go into town for big events like that, but uh, it actually gets quite crowded and, uh, and transportation gets quite difficult. So we played it smart this time, and we went down the day before and got a chance to look around at all the preparations. It was a beautiful day, walking around down on the National Mall, and got to see a lot of the preparations, got to watch the CNN reporters, Anderson Cooper and company there, uh, reporting right from the National Mall. We were standing just uh, oh, 10 or 20 meters or so away from them, and uh, got to watch the whole scene there. Then we went into the uh, into the Smithsonian and got to, to take a look at uh, a beautiful work of art by Michelangelo I hadn't seen before. David Apollo is uh, is in Washington. What an amazing thing. We were able to just stand there with in this little room with uh, with this work by Michelangelo. And it wasn't crowded at all. I mean, for for a long time there we were the we were the only ones in the room, uh, Elisa the kids and I. One uh, security guard there off in the corner, but we had uh, Michelangelo's David Apollo to ourselves for a good period of time there. I, I, I kind of like this one because it's unfinished and it, uh, it allows you to see uh, kind of the, the technical approach taken by, by the artist. So anyway, those are some of the uh, events been going on here this winter. We've, we've also had a, a visit, a really nice visit by my younger sister, Trish. Trish is with us and, um, we, uh, she, she came into the ham shack and, uh, she said it felt very familiar. And I realized that, uh, 
when when she was a little kid when I, when she was 10 and I was 15 uh she would often come into the ham shack and sort of watch me talk to people around the world and I was talking to them on the HT37 and the Drake 2B the uh the very same rigs that are still sitting here in the shack with me in a different location but the same gear sitting with me here today so uh um, once or twice uh, during Trisha's visit, we had her come on into the shack and uh, and sit down, and uh, I made a couple of contacts, and it was uh, it was really kind of kind of nice to use the old gear and uh, you know go back all those years. It's been a long time, uh, 35, 40 years actually, and uh, so here we are again on the air, Trisha and I. And I, you know, when I go through my old logbooks and some of the old QSL cards, I can see notations where uh you know Trish was helping and she was actually filling out the log books and things like that so <laughs> really kind of kind of nice kind of kind of nostalgic here let's see all kinds of technical doings here i know you guys like to hear about the technical stuff so here we make our transition to the technical portion of the show been working on all kinds of stuff yeah i finished up that um the ceramic resonator double sideband rig and I put it on the air I haven't had much success and one of the things I suspect is going on is that I need I might need a bit more audio shaping I, I started thinking about this because I remembered an old article in electric radio quite old now May 1993 electric radio number 49 there's a good article in there by John Staples W6BM appropriately titled good audio and John is writing for uh, the AM community, but I think what much of what he says also applies uh, to double sideband to the double sideband community, <laughs> such as it is. Um, I think it's me and Peter Parker and, and Steve Smith and a few other guys. <laughs> now, actually, there's a lot more because of uh, the efforts of Peter Parker and others to to promote the uh, construction of double sideband rigs. Actually, quite a few of Peter Parker's beach rig, the Beach 40, quite a few of these rigs are under construction, and there's a reactive uh, discussion about it on the uh, minimalist uh, radio uh, uh, internet group. But anyway, back to John Staples. Uh, he points out that you really got to be careful about what audio frequencies you pass to the uh, to the modulator. What are the modulated stage? Let me read you um, a, a couple of the appropriate paragraphs. Uh, let's clear up some misconceptions. Good ham band AM audio is not the same as hi-fi audio. A broadcast quality transmitter fed with a broadcast quality mic would sound flabby and undermodulated. The highs would be lost in the narrow bandwidth of the receiver. The low frequency component would dominate the modulation power but would be lost to the low-frequency roll-off in the receiver. What's left of the mid-range would sound weak, and the signal would lack punch. Proper response shaping results in audio that sounds powerful, natural, and undistorted. Yeah, that's what we want. Powerful, natural, undistorted. And what we're trying to avoid here is, um, what, what did he, how did he put it? Um, uh, weak. Uh, and lacking of punch. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm trying to avoid. 
But anyway, uh, I know that when I build these double sideband rigs, I don't spend a lot of attention, spend a lot of time, I don't pay a lot of attention to the uh, to the shaping of the audio response. Basically, I'm really pleased if I can see the output meter wiggling as I speak into the microphone, and I suspect that, aha, I've got it, I've fixed it, it works. But then again, when you think about it, you know, it, it could be responding, as John points out in his article, to very low frequency components in my fairly low frequency voice and uh, it could be sending out audio that is completely missing the um, receiver passband and all those Yesus and ICOMs and Kenwoods that people are are listening to me with. Uh, this is not much of a problem on an SSB rig because when you think about it the SSB rig has that crystal filter in there so that if you see the, uh, the 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 needle, your output needle or the SWR uh, meter wiggling with uh, with your voice as you modulate, you could be fairly certain that the uh, the the energy that's going out, the RF energy going out, corresponds to audio frequencies that will be in the passband of all those Yesus and ICOMs and Kenwoods. Not true with uh, double sideband, not true with AM either, because there, there are no filters. We don't need no stinking filters <laughs> in, in the world of, uh, of two sidebands. So it becomes a real problem, a real danger. Now, you, if you take a look at the, um, some, sometimes you get out of this problem just by virtue of the microphone that you're using. And I know that my trusty D104, uh, which has uh, kind of an audio shaping element to it intrinsically, uh, has kind of kept me out of trouble in, in this area for, for many years. Now, with the ceramic double sideband rig, I've been trying to use little Electret microphones. The problem with that is that if you take a look at the uh, audio frequency response on the Electret microphones, they're really flat. I mean, from, and I'm exaggerating here, but basically flat from DC to daylight. And, uh, and and that's that's probably not good because that means that you could be sending a lot of energy at say 100 Hertz or 200 Hertz to the uh, the balanced modulator and producing RF that corresponds to frequencies that won't even be picked up by uh, the folks at the at the other end so audio shaping becomes important uh, that's the it's, it's good that we recognize that the bad news is that if you want to keep the rigs simple it's it's not that easy to uh, to come up with the kind of audio shaping that uh, that you you'd like to have so a lot of it comes back to the kind of microphones you're using and I now begin to understand why we see the use of certain kinds of microphones in very simple uh, double sideband rigs you'll very often see the use of a carbon mic, a very simple carbon button mic, sort of like the kind that we used to uh, procure from uh, from pay phones when we were kids. I think the statute of, limitation, statute of limitations is up on that. So, uh, yes, it's, some people were known to do that, to open up the, the little microphone thing on the uh, pay phone and out would pop a uh, carbon microphone element. But anyway, those, those, those carbon mics, uh, they were not good with uh, with lower frequencies, so you had a natural kind of audio shaping that took place there. Um, and I, you know, I, I mentioned the D104. The other mic that's apparently the kind of mic that's that's useful for this is the dynamic microphone, 
and uh, I rummaged around in my uh, junk box and found an old Shure Brothers microphone uh, that was originally with a Swan 240. It still has a kind of a Swan label on the front of it, and it's got a dy dynamic mic element there. So I have uh, dusted that off. I've uh, reworked the connector, and it's now that microphone that I'm going to use with the um, with the ceramic uh, resonator 20 meter DSB long evolving Azores Rome Virginia rig. <laughs> I need to get a, a better antenna in the sky. I'm working on an antenna for 20, just a, just a, a dipole, and uh, I hope to get that up at half wavelength. And at that point, I'm going to see if this thing will effectively um, wiggle the ether. Hey, um, talking about um, the, uh, the the ceramic rig last last week. I mean, not last week. Um, the last podcast, I was talking about the problems I was having in getting that rig. Uh, uh, stable, and I referred, as I sometimes do, to um, some of the articles written by uh, C.F. Rocky, um, a real, uh, very prolific ham radio QRP writer, uh, and uh, uh, through his articles, a mentor to uh, to many of us. And you know, it was shortly after I had um, read the quote. I, I, I even have it in the Solder Smoke book. Rocky says that it it sometimes reaches the point where the only solution is to sacrifice a chicken to Papa Legba. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I used that quote in a QST article many years ago, and uh, we, we used as sort of the title for that section of the article, No Chickens Were Killed During the Production of This Rig. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, Rocky became a, a silent key recently, and uh, was sorry to hear that, but uh, I noted on the blog page that... Uh, his his influence will uh, continue to be felt for many years through the uh, the many great articles that he wrote about uh, home brewing in the real world, the uh, kind of uh, the down and dirty on the real problems faced by people who um, who who try to home brew with transistors. He did a lot of work on uh, on antennas too, the upper and outer, all kinds of great articles. Every time you start thumbing through an old uh, ham radio. Uh, magazine, especially in the homebrew QRP universe, you come across articles by CF Rocky, and they're always great. So uh, thanks for all the articles, Rocky. Uh, let's see what else, what else has been going on. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, I, I might have mentioned that I've been taking Italian lessons. You know, I, I lived in Italy for three years and had some language training when I went over there, but. I was never quite satisfied with my, my linguistic abilities in the Italian language. So I've had the opportunity through work to take, uh, take language lessons. So twice a week I go off to, um, uh, to work on Italian. And this is radio related because I realize that I need extra time in conversation. So I have fired up the, uh, good old Echolink, uh, system and now, uh, uh, several mornings each week, I am on Echolink with uh, Italian radio amateurs uh, talking about radio in the language of Dante. <laughs> it really helps. It's great. Um, I'm enjoying it. So three cheers for Echolink. I mentioned uh, being on the air with the HT37 and the Drake 2B. Uh, that is the result of a repair, an easy repair. It doesn't really, it doesn't really even fit into the category of a 
of a true repair. Uh, and I'll explain why. The, the My trusty 2B uh, suddenly went deaf. Um, you know what I mean? It, you could hear a signal in there, but just barely. And you, you listened on other receivers and you knew the band was hopping. But it wasn't hopping on the Drake 2B. Uh, so it was as if the uh, it was as if the hearing aid went bad, or the battery died on the uh, or something in there. And I know that when you're dealing with tube type gear, when this happens, it's almost always a tube in there, a valve that has gone soft. And uh, sure enough, I um, you know it doesn't it's it's not hard to to troubleshoot uh, when you when you when you've sort of decided that it's a bad tube. And so I just started poking around in there and, and playing with the front panel controls and seeing what worked and what didn't. And uh, sure enough, I found out that the um, uh, the first mixer tube, the 6U8 in the in the Drake 2B, had gone bad. So I, went, I turned to the junk box and there it was. Another 6U8 was sitting there. Probably the result of the fact that my uh, mate for the mighty midget is a completely all 6U8 tube rig. So good thing had its 6u8 sitting here popped it in there and that drake 2b came to life this uh, provided some some motivation i figured okay well you know time to time to use another rig so i fired up the ht37 which is sitting conveniently right beneath the drake 2b and uh, i said let me try a new band too i don't i i spent very little time on 15 meters in recent years for one reason or another but I fired it up, got it out on 15 meters, and man, I, I it was it was as if the radio gods were uh, were smiling upon me because uh, I, I happened to do this when the bands were in, in really good shape, um, and I, I managed to work some uh, some some pretty cool DX there. I worked uh, Zulu Delta Seven Foxtrot Tango. Spoke to uh, that's on uh, Saint uh, Saint Helena Island down in the South Atlantic. Haven't spoken to them since I was in the Azores from 2000, 2003. When I was in the Azores, that was a straight shot south for me. Between me and that island, there was nothing but water. <laughs> but uh, I managed to talk to them. And I'm only using them. I'm, I'm, I'm using just a little dipole. I'm actually using the 17-meter dipole, which is not, not optimal, of course, but it gets out pretty well on 15 also. Uh, so we've been having fun with the, uh, the Drake 2B and the HT37. And it is good every once in a while to uh, to kind of change your routine. I'd been spending a lot of time with the 17-meter uh, homebrew single sideband station, which is great fun. But uh, I don't know. It's good to a change of pace, I think, is, is good for you and your uh, amateur radio uh, operating habits. Okay. Um, talking back, going back to that, uh, to the J-Bot amplifier in... Uh, uh, um, that I've been working on, I mentioned earlier. I talked about it quite a bit in the uh, in the last episode of the podcast. I talked about how uh, Edgardo LU1AR had come to my rescue. Edgardo, the most interesting ham in the world, the guy from the Dos Equis commercial. No, just kidding. That's what Steve uh, Steve Smith said. But uh, anyway, uh, I I I I started getting curious about this phenomenon known as uh, Q killing, and or swamping. Anyway, I got curious about this. What you know? What is going on? What, what happens when we say that? Well, why do we put that resistor across the, the primary of, of a transformer, and and somehow that causes the amplifier stage 
to get stable. I, I was just curious about the physics. I thought I had an understanding of it, but I wasn't quite sure, so I wanted to explore it a little bit further. And I dug around and dug around, and finally I found a uh, reference to this to th this kind of troubleshooting tactic, a very kind of CF Rocky kind of tactic. But I found it in a an article by Doug DeMore, CQ Magazine, May 1994. And uh, Doug uh, mentioned something about swamping or Q-killing. I put, put in the blog post that this sounds like some sort of a Discovery Channel TV series, you know, killing the Q in the swamp or something like that. But uh, it is referred to as either swamping or Q-killing. And here's what Doug says about this. In addition to keeping stray RF currents off the DC supply lines on a PC board, it is necessary to minimize the Q called DQing in some parts of an amplifier circuit. The older term, term, the older term given to this was swamping, which was done with parallel resistance or capacitance across certain circuit elements. That cure usually degraded the overall amplifier efficiency because some of the RF power was dissipated in the swamping circuit. In a worst case situation, it also disturbed the impedance of the circuit. Figure, figure 2 shows the use of ferrite beads and resistance as Q-killers in a solid-state ampli RF amplifier. One or two miniature beads may be slipped over a lead on an RF choke to lower the choke Q. In lab tests I performed with 500 microhenry choke, I found that a single 850 MU bead thus used lowered the choke Q from 60 to 10. A resistor may be used in parallel with the RF choke to lower the Q, but if this is done, it is wise to choose a resistance value that is at least four times the characteristic impedance of that point in the circuit. Hence, if the input port of the transistor has, say, 10 ohms, the parallel resistor should be 40 ohms or greater. Lower values of resistance will diminish the driving power to the amplifier and will disturb the impedance match at that point in the circuit. Resistors are commonly used across the secondary windings of broadband transformers to lower the Q. This is demonstrated in the circuit of figure 1 at T1. The four-time rule applies here also. Yeah, so uh, there we have it from Doug DeMoss, swamping, killing the Q with a resistor. And I think what it means is basically if you've got a, a, a coil there that is a, of high Q, um, you could get um, some uh, self-resonance there at high Q. And this would make it easy for a, a, even a small amount of feedback to... Uh, to cause the stage to, to go into oscillation. You lower the Q, even if you get that small amount of feedback, it, it, the losses are going to be such that it's not going to allow the circuit to break into oscillation at the lower frequencies. So um, anyway, uh, there you go. That's what, uh, that's what the authorities say about uh, swamping and Q-killing. I think it's an interesting tactic. It's kind of a, kind of a kludge, you think, see, a kludge. We'll talk more about kludges in a minute. Um, let's see what else. Um, I added a, a filter to the Mighty Midget receiver. You guys might hear some music in the background at this point. That's not an audio problem. That, my friends, is a result of having teenage children. Uh, anyway, uh, I added a, a filter to my Mighty Midget receiver, the Mate for the Mighty Midget. 
you'll recall that uh, when I built this thing, I couldn't get the uh, crystals needed to make the 455KC uh, crystal lattice filter designed by Lou McCoy. Uh, 455KC uh, crystals now pretty much have become unobtainium, but somewhere along the line I picked up a uh, uh, a Toyo, I think it's a Toyo, yeah, a Toyo filter for 455KC and um, I needed to uh, to figure out how to how to get it into the circuit and uh, I got some some really good assistance on this and it was good long long range assistance very the kind of kind of assistance we really like here at, at solder smoke I put out a plea for help on the on the internet my problem was that this filter it looked great but it had strange markings on it you flipped it over on the bottom it had four terminals one marked P, the other B, the other G, the fourth one was E. You know, and I had the toughest time. I was scratching my head, what what the heck does that mean? Now, the filter looks like it was produced around 1969. That's a clue. That's uh, There's a lot of valve tube type activity that far back. I should have thought of that, but I didn't. And I, when I, I put a message out asking people to help me with this uh, with this problem, uh, we got a response from Papa Alpha Three, Bravo Charlie, Bravo, all the way from from the Netherlands. And uh, old man Bravo Charlie Bravo really helped me out. He uh, he pointed out that uh, P stands for plate, B stands for B plus. Um, G stands for grid of the filter output, and E stands for earth or ground. Strange kind of markings, don't you think? But you can see how this thing is built for uh, for tubes. You could take that P and just hook it up on the uh, up, hook it to the plate uh, of the uh, of the preceding of the stage that precedes the filter, and then hook up uh, B to the B plus and just run the 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 B plus going to the plate right through the the filter. There you go. There's your input. The G goes to the grid of the stage that follows the filter. And E, earth, ground, there you go. Anyway, I wanted to get this thing into the Made for the Mighty Midget. I had been using just the uh, 455KC IF cans, and it was really way too broad. So I figured what I could do is just plug this thing in. Now, I, I didn't really use the plate to B-plus thing. I already had a 455KC filter a 455kc transformer in there in lieu of a filter. So what I did is I just took the secondary of that transformer and hooked it up between P and B. And then at the output, I did indeed hook E to earth to ground. And G went did go to the grid of the following stage. And uh, it really worked. It's nice. This thing is suddenly selective. And I can just, I set the BFO just where it needs to go and uh, and it works just fine. Uh, it, it's a little harder to tune now uh, because tuning is much more critical. But um, maybe I'll put a reduction drive in there. But it's a nice little receiver, and I had fun working on it. And I'm glad I finally got the filter in there after after a long time. I built that receiver a long, long time ago. Probably wow, probably built that thing in 19 just before we left. Probably 1998. <laughs> wow. Um, scary. All right, let's see what else we got going on here. Um, 
I oh I added a feature here to the uh, to the blog. This is probably a no not a big deal for for many of you guys, but uh, I'm conscious of the fact that uh, we have a lot of uh, listeners and uh, a, re a lot of readers of the blog who's for whom English is not their uh, their native language. So Google Blog blogsters have a, a neat feature, a translate feature. It's up in the upper hand, upper right hand portion of the blog page. Just select your language and click go. And it uh, it translates the bro the blog. It's it's kind of a, a hoot for me to see it uh, see the blog in in Arabic and Gujarati and Urdu and uh, uh, all those uh, exotic for us exotic languages. Um, and I I checked out the translation that comes out in Italian and Spanish. It's uh, it's pretty good. It's not great. It's not perfect, especially in the uh, in the technical area that we're uh, we're dealing with here. But it's good enough. And I think it's for a lot of people, it'd be a lot better than struggling trying to figure out what the heck I had written in in English. It gets you pretty close. And uh, three cheers for Google Translate. Um, another another group that gets three cheers is a company called Adafruit. Limor Freed has brought uh, electronic the electronic business back to Lower Manhattan, um, and she runs a company called Adafruit. Some kind soul had sent me a uh, gift certificate for Adafruit, and we've been using it to buy Raspberry Pi projects parts for Billy. He's got a Raspberry Pi uh, computer going. He pulled, the poor fellow's had a bad throat here for the last week or so, so he hasn't been working on it. Another project we have with Billy is we have this shed out in the backyard. It's supposed to be for uh, garden tools, but it seemed like a waste of space. It had filled up with junk and old stuff that we had carted around with us from all the overseas posts and I decided that enough was enough and Billy and I cleared out that shed and we're going to turn it into some sort of uh, hangout for him. He's going to move his weight equipment back up there and it might just be a kind of a, a refuge for the poor fellow. He'll go out there and be able to hang out in, in peace and listen to the music and lift weights and work on raspberry pies or something. <laughs> anyway, that's a project that he and I are working on. All right, let's see. And we're moving along here. What other projects have got? Oh, yeah, I'm just building a. Today I'm building a 20 meter dipole. Not very exotic, not very complicated, but uh, it's really cold here today, and uh, so I decided to work on the antenna, but work on it here, inside the shack. All right, that means it's time for solder smoke mailbag. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah, solder smoke mailbag. Um, let's see. First, I want to thank um, our friend out there in the San Francisco Bay Area, Roger. Uh, my wife actually needed some advice when it came time to look for um, a Christmas present for me. She wanted something radio-related. She got in touch with uh, Roger, and uh, he, he recommended a T-shirt. Very appropriate. Real radios glow in the dark. And I'll, I'll be wearing that t-shirt. Probably be wearing it at least with a, well, at least while I'm inside. It's not really t-shirt weather here yet. But uh, the Hamfest is coming up here in Northern Virginia. The Vienna Wireless Society's Hamfest is on uh, one week from today, on the 24th of February. I'll be there. I'm bringing uh, a few copies of Solder Smoke Book with me. So um, uh, if you're if you're in the area, stop by the Hamfest, stop by the solder smoke table, and say hello. Always a lot of fun. And thanks, Roger, for that. Thanks also, Roger sent me a um, 
a uh, uh, um, a picture, uh, kind of a nice uh, display, and it said sort of like the the original Twitter, and it showed a, a Morse key. Nice, nice sentiment there. Um, saw some nice email. wasn't really directed to me, but it was I think on one of the uh, uh, one of the email groups. I, I subscribe to a lot of email groups because I really I like to sort of follow the technical discussions there. I'm sure you guys know what I mean. But I get hundreds of messages each day. What I do now is I, sk I skim through. First, I skim through the subject lines and see if anything catches my eye. But then I'm always careful to skim through the um, the names of the originators. I'm always looking for certain names. I'm looking for anything written by by Wes. I'm looking for anything from uh, from Farhan. And there's a number of other names names there. Anything from G3ROO from 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 Ian over there and. In, uh, in in the UK, um, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, Tony Fishpool, I'm always looking for his name. Um, there's a bunch of guys that, that are sort of uh, names to be watched for there in the email lists. One of them uh, I always look for is uh, Preston Douglas, WJ2V, up in the New York area. And his uh, an email from him recently provided some words of wisdom on um, troubleshooting. His Now, he was talking about troubleshooting SDR rigs, but I think these words of wisdom apply to um, the radio art um, writ large here. And I, I quote, perseverance spaced with downtime to avoid frustration. He, somebody was having a trouble with the struggling with a rig. So he says, when you get into the situation when you're, um, you know, you're, you're having trouble getting something fixed and you're about ready to throw in the towel, um, O.M. Preston recommends perseverance spaced with downtime to avoid frustration. Very, very good. We should uh, that should be on a T-shirt. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll get I'll get Press's permission and uh, make it a Cafe Press T-shirt uh, slogan. Got a got a nice email from uh, from Jonathan. I call him Jonathan San. You guys will remember Jonathan. He was over in Tokyo for a long time. He used to send us reports from the uh, from that amazing market over there that I never ever managed to pronounce properly. So I'm not even going to try. I'm going to just say that that flea market in Japan that Jonathan-san used to go to. He sent me a nice email about he and the, how he and the family are doing. I think you guys will remember the pictures of his son Oscar wearing a, a North Vietnamese Army uh, a helmet. <laughs> Uh, they made a trip, a vacation trip to Vietnam. Um, Jonathan sent a nice email and alerted me to the fact that uh, uh, about the differences in different kinds of Morse and the the Japanese version of Morse called Wabun Morse. And uh, just wow, I, I I did some googling. If you guys are into uh, Morse code and its uh, international variants. Um, I, I recommend some Googling on Waboon, that's W-A-B-U-N, Waboon Morse. And there's also some cool pages out there on, on a Morse code on Cyrillic Morse, Arabic Morse, um, all the different Morse variants for the different um, writing systems. Very, very interesting. Okay, Kludge versus Kluge. Um, I had, uh, you know, I talked about this last time. And I actually got emails, nice emails, helpful emails, but emails that very um, confidently asserted that the correct pronunciation is kluge, as in like stooge, whereas I've always heard it 
kludge as in fudge. Now what we're talking about here is kind of a, a thrown together solution. I put a, a posting up on the blog that showed a bridge in Alaska that had collapsed. A portion of it had collapsed and they had just taken some uh, planks of wood or, or steel or something and and put it across the, the part that had, fell, that had fallen into the river. This was a kludge solution. It works but it's not really addressing the problem the way it should be addressed. Or, um, you know, you're, you're doing something, you're having a problem with the rig, and you know there's a correct way to do it, but there's also an easy way to do it that's easier than the really correct way. So you go in there, and it's sort of like slapping a Band-Aid on it, a temporary thing that'll get you through, that'll fix it. It's, it's not elegant. It's not the best engineering. It might result in the use of excessive parts or it might be the kind of thing that's not going to last that long but you do it it's a kludge now I did some research and apparently there is two different pronunciations there are two there are two pronunciations that are different it seems to me that kludge is used more by younger computer software guys whereas kludge is used by older analog hardware guys and that, that may be a, a bit of a cultural difference there there may be some significant differences in in meaning between the two pronunciations too but you know on all these things I I turn to the um, um, the lexicographer I think is the word uh, of um, the, the 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 vocabulary expert of the QRP community and that is uh, Steve Silverman. He is the one who has given us definitions for, for a wide variety of words. I remember him di diving deep into um, uh, the, 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 the use of the term the knack. And he did some really groundbreaking research in that area. Uh, thanks for all that help, Steve. And, and uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we, we have a ruling on this. Um, Judge Steve Silverman has, has ruled that the correct pronunciation, at least for our purposes, is kludge. So kludge is in fudge, uh, folks. That's the way it's going to be. And uh, thanks to Steve for, for squaring us away. Uh, um, I, I guess the, 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 the software guys are free to use kludge, and maybe we'll just have to <laughs> agree to disagree on this one. Uh, get a nice email from, from uh, another friend out on the West Coast, Mike, WA6ARA. Uh, Mike reports that uh, that somebody has picked up and is putting to good use uh, the call sign of our um, our departed friend Mike KL7R. Uh, I think Mike uh, worked somebody using this call sign, uh, and I think appropriately enough, Mike worked him on the FO29 satellite. So uh, I, I know our friend Mike, uh, formerly KL7R. Would uh, would be pleased to to hear that somebody's using his his call sign and using it in a in a, a technically challenging uh, on a technically challenging mode like the FO29 satellite. So thanks for letting us know about that, Mike. It's good to to uh, to hear from you, um, Grayson, our friend ta Tango Alpha Two Zuliet. Ju uh, boy, there's a tongue tongue twister. Tango Alpha Two Zulu Golf Echo. Our friend Grayson is over there in Ankara, Turkey. Sent me a um, a, a, a word about a, a modification that 
that uh, Drake to be aficionados might not have heard about. It's a Henry Radio uh, filter mod for the Drake 2B. Apparently, way back when, somebody got the idea that the LC filters in the Drake 2B were uh, not quite up to the selectivity task and decided that some sort of additional filtering needed to be provided. So Henry Radio provided this filter mod. I did some uh, Googling and found some details on it. I um, I don't know. I don't know about this, guys. It looked it looked a bit uh, um, looked like a bit of a kludge to me, <laughs> and maybe an unnecessary kludge. But I put the info up there. Thanks to thanks Grayson for uh, providing that. I hope your uh, your uh, boat anchor radios are helping you keep the shack warm through the winter there in uh, in Turkey. I'm, I'm sure they are. Good to hear from you. Uh, I got a real nice email from uh, somebody whose name is well known to the QRP community. Uh, Rich Arland. Uh, Rich has uh, edited a number of the, the QRP books from ARRL. Very active in QRP. Very active in boat anchors. Uh, great guy. And he um, uh, told me that he had read Solder Smoke the book. Really enjoyed it. And uh, and, uh, and and we we went back and forth talking about uh, Drake Two Bs and other uh, other items of interest. We have a lot in common. Uh, a lot of uh, kind of um, uh, personal kind of military background before uh, from years ago and uh, he had been out in the Azores also so we have the Azores in common so a lot of uh, a lot of common territory there I'm happy to say between me and Rich Arland and he's um, launched his, his own blog a new blog is called Rich's Como Bunker and I have a link to it up on the um, on the blog page so check that out I, uh, I visited it and found it uh, very interesting um, Finally, I had asked about um, signal generators. No, this is not finally. I'm sure I have a couple more here. But um, uh, I had asked about what's the proper output from a signal generator. You know, I, I turned Farhan's uh, signal generator circuit into, um, I kind of used it and modified it and put it into the Heathkit uh, signal generator box that I have here. I'm just wondering what's a recommended output. What would be a good output level, assuming 50 ohms, from a signal generator, I, I was thinking that at least one milliwatt would be good. Um, and um, Jerry AA6KI notes that uh, in the 8640 Junior rig, that has an output of, um, of five milliwatts. So uh, maybe I should try to get a little bit more out from um, that, or maybe maybe one milliwatt's okay. I think I'm getting about one milliwatt now out from the uh, from the the farhand. Um, Subway sandwich shop straw signal generator placed in the Heathkit box. <laughs> but uh, thanks for that email, Jerry. Yeah, I got a nice email from Roberto, XE1, GXG. We always hear from Roberto. Always good to hear from him. And uh, he was he was telling me that we need to check out a uh, a, a, a homebrew Cuban amateur radio operator. And I did. It's it's really cool. If you go to the QRZ.com site and look for CO2VQ, wow, this guy is a, a really excellent CW operator. I think he's in his 70s and can still do 70 words a minute. Really, uh, really high speed stuff. Plus, he's got a lot of homebrew uh, SSB gear in his shack. Definitely has the knack. Thanks for alerting us to that, Roberto. All right, I think that does it for the mailbox. Thanks very much for listening, guys. Hey, send me some signal reports. 
I hope this new computer has helped me overcome some of the uh, audio problems we had uh, earlier. And uh, let me know how it sounds if you like it. I'm, you know, really interested in uh, in your your feedback on it. I hope the uh, for those of you in the northern hemisphere, I hope the the winter's been been kind to you, um, and I hope it's <laughs> it's over soon. <laughs> I think the uh, the groundhog got the signal that it's not going to be going on that much longer. So, um, and for those of you who are getting ready to go into it in the southern hemisphere, I hope you have a you have an easy one down there too. All right, guys. Uh, see you. See you next time. Seven three from Northern Virginia. The Solder Smoke podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke. That's one word at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well... We have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!